0: podcastle episode 375 for august 4th 2015 the child support of cromdor the condemned by spencer ellsworth rated r for disturbing imagery language winches this one's not for kids hello and welcome to podcastle i am rachel k jones your co-editor and host At one point last year, my husband and I passed the time on a long road trip making a list of catchy songs that contained not-so-great messages once you dissected them a bit. That's when I had the sudden revelation that the classic hit song Pretty Woman seems to be about a creepy dude who catcalls and harasses random women on the street. We ended up with a list of about ten songs, and we dubbed our collection I Know It's Problematic, But I Like It Anyway, And because we were young and naive, we posted it to Facebook. It turns out, if you ever want to make people really mad, you don't do it with partisan political statements. You do it by suggesting that Jonathan Colton's song, Code Monkey, might glorify sexual harassment in the workplace just a little. Now, before you all rush to the forums to take sides in this hot debate, consider the power of nostalgia. Nostalgia is a potent force. It's a time machine that only takes us to moments that were special and important. It hallows the small things. This song on the radio. That brand of shampoo. These herbs mashed together in the pesto we ate that day. We don't enjoy it when someone pokes holes in the things that make us feel this way. It can be hard not to rush to defend the things we treasure, even when another person might have a good point about our favorite song being hurtful to other listeners. For me, this revelation was never so personal as when someone finally made me confront the fact that my own little hotbed of childhood nostalgia, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, only contains about three actual female characters in the whole epic scale cast. For someone as slavishly devoted to the Tolkien mythos that my escape artist form handle is Varda, it was difficult to come to grips with the fact that something I love so much Had very limited imagination for what a person like myself could be or do. Which brings us to today's story, which addresses the classic sword and sorcery mythos of Conan the Barbarian. Historically, whenever Podcastle has run a classic Conan story, the audience ends up sharply divided between those who find that song problematic and those who love it anyway. I am happy to say that today's story has something in it for everyone. Fans of Conan, you're going to love this story. Haters of Conan, you're going to love this story. Podcastle is very proud to present the child support of Cromdor the Condemned by Spencer Ellsworth. This one's a Podcastle original, folks. Spencer Ellsworth lives in Bellingham, Washington with his wife and three children. He works as a teacher and administrator at Northwest Indian College, and his work has appeared in Fantasy and Science Fiction. Michael Moorcock's New Worlds, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and many other places. He has been trying to get a story past PodCastle ever since Rachel Sworski's tenure as editor, and victory is sweet! You can read his blog, listen to his band, and find links to his stories at spencerellsworth.com. It's read to you by my mighty co-editor, Graham Dunlop. As I'm sure you all know by now... Graham is an immortal warrior born approximately 300 million years ago on the supercontinent of Pangaea, where he rode mammoths and drove the dinosaurs to extinction. While most of his exploits have been lost in the sands of time, He spent the last 17 centuries hunting down and beheading his fellow immortals to gain their quickening, all while avoiding his nemesis, award-winning actor and director Nicolas Cage. He also suffers from a rare condition known as Sean Connery Syndrome which gives him the tendency to sound completely badass every time he speaks. Currently, he hangs his greatsword in Melbourne, Australia, and serves as escape artist, tech barbarian, pseudopod sound producer, and podcastle's own host and co-editor. So, pour another glass of Dad's old Girkilled in the God's Own Drinking Hall, and enjoy the story.
1: The Child Support of Cromdor the Condemned, by Spencer Ellsworth. Cromdor the Calderian, thrice cursed, thrice condemned, I've forgotten the rest, but believe you me, there is thrice more, had nearly finished his tale when the traveller slipped in. As he had for the past ten days, and ten before that, Cromdor had a packed house. Of course, packed house is relative. Last winter a mudslide tore away half the common room, and Yargan had been rebuilding when he fell through the thatch and died on that floor. Damned if Greta, his daughter, didn't ever try to stop his goats from getting in or doing their business in the corners. So's only the old folks came. A fine summer night and we'd have sunlight until midnight and stories to go with it. But the young ones were mostly down at the church, praying for the holy warriors on their mission in Ursulim, worshipping the new bleeding God. Don't the weather matter? The crop? How's one God going to keep track of all that? "'Point being, the traveller stuck out. "'She was a wench, let me tell you!' "'Cromdor liked to stretch out wench, "'a grumbling roll like rocks coming down a mountain. "'Greta groaned. "'Always with the wenches, now you've got to describe her!' "'Cromdor's enormous, broken-toothed grin "'was like some mean old cat's. "'This wench had skin like ivory.' "'Always ivory. Ivory or creamed coffee. Never a freckle.' Greta didn't miss a step.' "'Ivory,' Cromdor said, and hair red as flame. "'Not raspberries, then. Flame.' "'She had that same hair in one other place,' Cromdor said, and everyone chuckled. "'And do you know in Coria they use those sorcerer's tattoos?' A man gets in well with a Corian girl, he'd better check the spells where he's putting his Cromdor. Young guy stood in the doorway, skin a deep burnt brown. Like the parchment, Cromdor passed around once in a while, full of some kind of writing we couldn't read, Cromdor included, that told about his deeds. I would have suspected this boy to be Americ, like one of them women Cromdor talks about, the Bacromeda always said they're born with that skin, rich as cream in coffee, whatever in the name of Freya's Doug's coffee is. None of us had a right idea what ivory looked like either. But he was tall as any northerner. Boy was dressed up thick as three bears, festooned in way too many damn furs for spring. He had about the craziest thing on his face I've ever seen someone wear, round pieces of glass, like he'd cut the bottoms out of two Lord's Cups.' Cromdor took a drink, at least he meant to, but his glass was empty. Greta, fill me up, and this boy too, so he can hear the rest of the story. Get your own damn drink, Greta said as usual. I'm not here for the stories, the boy said. Do you remember Dari, peasant girl in southern Gallia, during the border wars in High Preston Hollins' time? I don't reckon time by church boy buggers. He grabbed the pitcher from Greta and took a deep drink. What sort of man are you with that skin and those things on your face? Your son. Ah, can't damn me, Cromdor said, slamming his ale down. We mostly cleared out. Cromdor was staring into his ale, looking about like someone had hit his ass with the hammer of Gar. Before the gods, we'd all wondered about his kids... "'Either all those wenches were lies "'or the man had more bastards than a king.' "'Greta smacked me on the shoulder with a wet rag. "'Your daughter wants you home, Olin.' "'My daughter kicked me out this morning,' I said, "'and told me not to come back till tonight, "'less I was planning to help with the roof. "'Just saying it made my back ache.' "'Nah, come on over, Olin,' Cromdor said. "'You were one of them majors, weren't you?' "'Magistrate,' I said.' "'No mages any more.' "'Whatever. Make your useless ass useful,' Cromdor slammed the table. "'More ale, woman!' the boy sat. "'Who's this Darcy?' He took the things off his face and breathed on them, then started rubbing them carefully. Never seen anything like it. "'Dari, a black-haired girl,' the boy said, and I could just hear Cromdor describing her.' buxom raven-haired, and she had an appetite. Mark me, those peasant girls know more tricks than fancy courtesans. Lived in a farm outside Ferries. You were passing through with a war party to fight the Amars in the Pyrene Mountains. fought a lot of Amars, and batted a lot of wenches. The boy muttered something incomprehensible. What? He cleared his throat. Funny how someone could look furious and terrified at the same time. She gave you a green stone in gold filigree. Cromdall blew out one lock of his long black hair. Oh, hold on, boy, I think I remember her. Buxom, raven haired and she hadn't... I wanted back, he said. She's sick, and I need money to bring a docker to Ferris." Cromdall laughed. How old is she? Come now, boy. ''That was a while back. She's lived a good life.'' ''She was 13 when you got her pregnant,'' the boy said. ''Now, I don't know how they do it elsewhere, but around here that's mighty young. Cromdor can talk all he wants about the courts of sorcerers and kings, but in the countryside, a fella comes adventuring through town, all bluster and blade like Cromdor. We keep a weather eye on our daughters and keep a weather eye on that fellow and hurry him fast as possible.'' I caught Greta looking at Cromdor out of the corner of my eye. How old are you, boy? Nineteen years. How old does that make her, exactly? Cromdor had a good sword arm, but the man never learned sums. Look, he said, I'm a physician, but I can't figure out what's wrong with her. I need one of my old teachers to come to my village to look at her, but even he can't afford the trip. You're my father, and you owe me... something... I suppose it was polite as you could be where you were collecting from your long gone father. Physicians guild is swimming in money, Cromdor said. Even I know that. I was trained by Amars, he said. I'm not I'm not like most of my countrymen. You pray to the bleeding god? Cromdor asked. No, the boy said. I pray to the thousand gods of the Amorites, one and a multitude. Well that's something, ain't it? A start by Khan! Cromdore said he was going to look for the jewel. Greta and I shared a look. There was nothing in that shed of his, except a sharpener and a bar tab he couldn't read. Greta came over to me. I told you, didn't I? I said trouble's going to come sooner or later. I didn't answer. Every once in a while, someone reminded us that Cromdor was a nasty old drunk who showed up out of the blue, saying nothing about his past unless it had to do with killing and wenching. This may be a foreign concept to you, Olin, but a man's debts come due, Greta said. I was just working up a good response, maybe something about calming down and getting the goats out before she gives a customer trouble, when she hollered, Look at that! Damned if the boy didn't unroll a mat in the corner and start praying. Greta and I, we stared like we were watching a frost hand try to kiss a human. Which happened, you know. Poor old Pandrig Hargund. The fellow was nice to one of the young ones after its mother tossed it out and now Pandrig frozen till the end of the world. Which ain't far off, not with all the young ones acting so. Bleeding God, my bleeding ass! Boy finished his prayers and stood up. You Amorites, I said, you have lots of gods. Amorites are a tribe. I'm just one of the faith, he said. I studied with them because the Physicians Guild wouldn't teach a bastard boy. He rolled up the mat. There are a thousand aspects of a thousand gods. All gods one and all gods many. Blubbery nonsense. Good to hear, boy. Job's too big for one god. Greta leaned in close to me. What are we going to do when Cromdor ain't got what the boy asked for? That's between Cromdor and his son. Olin, she said, this is a matter of Thurgisk. Just like Greta to bring that up. Cromdor ain't one of us. Can't hold an outsider to our rules. All decent folk observe the inheritance of a father and son, Olin. Thurgisk That word used to get me riled up. My father would chant it and he'd hit the table and he'd bellow how you're nothing if you don't have a son and something to leave to him. Pass on a hold fast, pass on the true gods all the way back to when my great-grandfather decided to stay here and not go reaving across the sea with Carrick the Red Hand, because he cared for the ground under his feet and the gods and Thurgisk, Thurgisk, Thurgisk. My wife gave me one living daughter and Three stillborn sons, and the last son killed her. If I hadn't been such a damn fool, talking about having a son, talking about Thurgisk like it's the point of living, saying life wasn't life without a son. Well, can't second-guess the gods, but I reckon she might still be alive. Cromdor came stalking back in then. To his credit, he was a bit blowed, his belly heaving, as if he really had gone home and searched his things. I thought he was about to put an effort into apologising to the boy when he turned to me. Frost hands. Now? Where? I stood up, practically knocking Greta over. It's the middle of spring. The monks in their mine found something that wasn't iron. Cromdor picked up a tankard. Some ale before we go into battle? Greta shook her head. I'm not running your tab up again before you die. By can woman. A man needs a drink before. Ah, excuse. The boy mumbled something, coughed and repeated it. Speak like a man. What in the seven hells are you talking about? Cromdor snapped. What happened to the monks? I'll tell you someday, Cromdor said. All the bards will. Come on, Olin. You come too, boy, I said. We'll need good hands. The boy grabbed some of those silly furs he'd covered himself with and headed out. But he wasn't careful someone was going to shoot him and make a rug out of those skins. We crossed the village and Talwick's pasture, a field of mud it was. Talwick's never learned to graze his cows properly. Ahead of us, the path wound up through the black pines like a white snake. I could feel myself getting blowed already. Or maybe it was fear. The man ought to be afraid. The monks brush off the old gods, and they brush off our offerings and proper prayers, but they can't ignore a frost hand. No man can. Can't figure if the frost hands are intelligent. If they wanted our pasture, or our food, or our women, they could have them in a second. But they don't want to do much except come in the dead of winter and freeze whatever they touch. You just have to pray they're satisfied when they split your fence post and hope they don't get into the cattle. "'So what do you figure we're going to do against Frost Hands? I asked Cromdor. "'He was clad in his usual loincloth, holding a naked sword. "'Figure it out when we get there.' "'The boy chose that moment to speak up. "'My mother's necklace. What did you do with it?' "'Cromdor blew out a sweat-wet string of hair. "'I reckon I lost it when Melchior the Cruel took me captive. "'Had a few other things that were worth a good bit of money.' "'Malkiel took bloody everything. "'Lucky for me, his serving wench had a good eye for manhood, and she sprung me.' "'Now how old was she?' I asked. "'Keep your mouth shut, Olin,' he grumbled. "'Don't go getting huffy,' I said. "'I leaned in closer to Cromdor. "'Do right by this boy, Cromdor. "'I may have argued with Greta on the particulars, "'but I wasn't about to see anyone shirk a fatherly duty, "'unless it involved fixing my daughter's roof.' A man's back is only meant for so much. Cromdor pulled me ahead of the boy and muttered, I don't force women, Olan. I hold to few things, but I hold to that. And after a moment, But don't bloody tell me how old they are. You ever thought to ask? He didn't answer. Now look here, Cromdor, I ain't saying you're that kind of man, but you ought to have some sense. A young man with a willing wench have sense? He laughed. I went flush. It ain't something to be real proud of, but at my age, a man likes to hear about the willing wenches. I drank up them stories of smooth-skinned coffee-brown girls and flame-haired girls begging Cromdor to pull their diaphanous. I figure that's some kind of wool, robes off. Reminds me of a time when I could see over my belly and swing an axe without throwing my spine sideways. Well, it ever occurred to you? Took a minute to find the words. God damn it, Olin! Speak your peace and be done! I cleared my throat. Think like a magistrate and a father, not an old fool, Olin. Occurred to you there's more going on when a young girl comes to your bed? He gave me a stare like I'd said something crazy. Big strong fellow rolls into town. Some young girls, they might figure if they open up their legs, that big strong fellow won't cause much trouble. Others, well, they're too young to know not to play with fire. He was looking like I was some craven in his stories, gone and turned on him. I oughtn't be the one telling you this. I said it a hundred times, the gods give us all just enough wits as we need. Shut your mouth. He had a dark tone in his voice that said violence. I forced myself to gaze at those rage-filled eyes. You've been adventuring a long time. Speaking as a magistrate, debts come due. He looked like he was going to whack my wise old magistrate head right off. Praise the gods, he stormed on. I followed, wheezing up that hill. "'If I might ask, what are you speaking about?' the boy asked. "'Oh, I I didn't say anything he didn't already know,' I said, and kept on going. It was a sad thing and a fool thing at once to know them wenching stories wouldn't go down the same any more. Up here, black sentinel pines surrounded us with few of any other trees except a few gnarled scrub oaks in the spots where lightning had burned out patches of forest.' The black pines marched up and up and up to the snow and the rocks, ripping the sky apart where the gods' own drinking halls were. I knew the monks had been digging a mine up here, although we'd all told them that a little bit of copper or iron wasn't worth the bears, wolves and frost hands. But who needs sense when you've got just one god telling you what to do? The monks were gathering around a prone body. The boy, Amir or whatever he'd said, broke from behind us and ran forward. I'm a physician, he said, the loudest he'd spoken yet. When he talked like that, when he talked that loud, his accent really sounded kind of funny. I hurried after him. Cromdor didn't break stride, walking as easy as you please, just as if he were a young man striding into battle and his gut didn't hang out over his loincloth. The prone fellow on the ground had a face looked half cooked away. Burns, I asked. "'What happened?' the boy asked. "'A tall, thin monk,' young fellow said. "'It was cold. God's wounds, it was cold like steam, a cold that burned him. "'He shivered cold in the summer sun. "'I need water,' Amir said, loud as you please and with a funny accent, no more mumbling. "'I can make a poultice for this, but it needs to be clean and bandaged. Fetch dressings.' I can get it, an older monk said. I can run. Amir hardly nodded. He yanked out a mortar and pestle from his bag and started smashing up some funny-looking plant. What's this about frost hands? Cromdor said. One of the other monks pointed. I hadn't noticed it, being focused on the monks and all, but there it was, a frost hand, lying on the hillside among the trees, up a bit from the gaping entrance to the mine, and gods take me Bing was taller than the bloody inn all long legs and long nose and warty skin like a knotted oak tree after a moment a moment where I was ready to piss my trousers, I realised it wasn't moving it sat in a pile of mud I could see water oozing out of its skin like a sponge getting squeezed dead too dead as a stump the monks had hacked its neck Crazy as you please, Cromdor just walked right up to that frost hand and kicked it. Water went rushing out in the pool around Cromdor's fur-covered boots. Lost its magic. I killed it, said the first monk to talk. Young thin fellow, pale eyes and bright blonde hair and wound tight as a cornered snake. He clutched the haft of a broken sword. After I cut the creature, my blade shattered. ''Lucky your arm didn't freeze,'' I said. ''We dug into hell,'' one of the monks said. ''The devils will rise if we don't seal the...'' ''You didn't dig into hell, you dumb, unwashed, chanting idiots,'' Cromdor said. ''You dug into some frosthands' lair.'' Cromdor grinned, a big toothy grin like a yawning cat. ''If we're lucky, you'll get a pool of water. In summer, winters will come here to bathe their supple young limbs.'' ''There's more of them down there,'' the monk said. When we hit the cold it shook the whole mine and collapsed some of the walls and that frost hand came charging out of another cavern. There are hundreds more of them. Cromdor didn't even wait for a by your leave. He just charged right into that mine through the cold mist rising. A couple of those monks shouted after him and started to chase him but they gave up real quick. The twitchy monk, the one killed the frost hand, hung back eyeballing the last spot Cromdor had stood. A monk returned with the bandages that the boy had asked for, and he set to work, wrapping up those cold burns. I sat down a bit. took a while to get comfortable with my back throbbing already, and all winded too, and figured I was going to wait. You figure that out after a bit, listening to stories. There's a lot more waiting around and having to piss. More than a man should at any age. I'm a busted pump, wethon sky father, take mercy. Then they tell you. I thought, mostly against my will, I thought about what Greta had said and about Thurgisk, about my wife and about how it still gets me a bit when I see a man like Cromdor, don't want to know his son, don't think about what he left that mother with. Suppose that's why I stood up and wandered over to where the boy was. Well, took another piss first, but then I headed for the boy. I don't have much of this. Amir was saying, as he rubbed some bright green concoction into the burned man's skin. In the dry lands, it's valuable as water. Understand that. I had to grin, thinking of all the times Cromdor had talked about valuables from foreign lands in that same damned tone. You understand? Smear it on your burns twice a day. Do not throw it out. Do not mistake me. Do not treat it cheaply. Boy, I said. Emir, uh, Amir, I mean, come over here. The boy walked to me, looking back at the pit in the earth. He pulled the furs around his shoulders. Should we go in after him, he asked. He should have come out by now. Boy, if even half of Cromdor's stories are pure lies, I still think he can handle himself in a cold hole in the ground, I said. The boy stared at the hole as if it was indeed a pit to hell. "'Southlanders, I tell you. "'So you just find out Cromdor was your daddy "'or you just didn't have the inclination to find him?'
0: "'I
1: always knew,' the boy said, "'his voice as bitter as an old woman with a grudge. "'Always.' "'After a moment, he said, "'They tell stories about him. "'All over, I've heard about Cromdor the fearsome, "'the brave, the battle-hardened "'in every tavern on this journey.' Your mother talk about him much? There is little to talk about. A man's got to think hard about what to say to this kind of boy. Of course I didn't. Sometimes I'm as big a fool as Greta says. I reckon that Cromdor owes you plenty then. We'll find some way to get the money your mother needs. It was a long time ago, the boy said. I only came because she was bit by a spider, a red spinneret. I drained the bite and I gave her the antivenom, but... "'Something still in her, poisoning her blood. "'One of my teachers, new spiders, understood poisons.' "'He paused, a bit choked. "'Not much more than a boy, indeed. Thirty and threes, too young to die. "'Not after the life she's had.' "'Cromdor came up out of the mine. "'Owen!' he bellowed. "'And here came my part in the story. "'I hustled over to him. "'What's down there, Cromdor?' ''Get those kneelers out of here,'' Cromdor said. He leaned in close. ''You've got about five young frost hands in there, no bigger than babes, and their mother.'' ''A frost mother. Gods preserve us. Better if I show you,'' Cromdor grabbed my arm. ''You come too, boy. You won't see this in the Southlands, and you've got the furs for it.'' The monks remained behind, staring after us, but they weren't ready to mess with Cromdor yet, it seemed. Down we went. The mist was thick and icy like small flakes of snow. Amir put his thin hand on my arm. I looked back to see that the seeing glasses over his face had greyed out with the mist. It was cold. The kind of cold you don't want to think about in summer. The kind that made me wish I'd brought furs like Amir's. Or more. My hands were shaking and I had to clench my teeth to keep them from rattling. Cromdor even showed goosebumps, he who never wore a thing save his loincloth and a sword. We went through a few tunnels until we got to one half collapsed. A pile of dirt and rock had filled half the tunnel, and a kind of cold white light, like that which comes from snow on a dark night, was filtering in through the gap in the wall. Up here, Cromdor said, his breath steaming. I scrambled up the pile of earth and rock and I looked into the Frost Mother's eyes. Thick coils filled the cave, piled from top to bottom. Fat coils as big around as a plough horse, curled around each other, lying in rings. But it wasn't all snake, because from the underside of the coils a few little pink dugs sprouted, like a cow's udders in a row. Little frost hands curled against some of these dugs, their spindly white hands clutching at their mother's teats. They squirmed to get close to the cold of their frost mother, the same way pigs in a barn might curl up to the warmth of the mother. In the heart of those coils, a sightless black eye stared out at me. I mean black. Black as night without a moon or stars. Black as the depths of a well. "'Drew me in, it did, and whispered like a man telling a story. "'Stories of deep, dark nights of sweet cold, "'of warmth draining out of a little living thing, "'of the joy of blood freezing. "'Olin!' "'Cold!' Cold. I whispered it. "'The boy did too. "'Cold! Cold! cold, "'Go to the cold! cold, Suckle the cold!' "'There we were, walking toward the thing, "'ready to latch on to its others. Cromdor saved us. That iron grip yanked us both back, threw us to the ground. Keep your sense. you never seen felt magic before. If she breathes on us, touches us. I nodded. He'd snapped me out of it for now, but I could not look at that eye. That old black eye. Cromdor leaned on his sword. Maybe we could kill the babes, at least, without waking the Frostmother. I gave him a level look. You're going to kill babes on the nipple? You know what they'll do when they get older. The boy spoke up. This is old magic, you say, he whispered. I have heard of this from my mother. Spirits of fire and air, ice and ash, ancient things for whom men are like mice. He whispered now. Olen, the gods of this place are watching, and we should not cross the old magic. Cromdor and I stared at the boy, and right together we nodded. What else could you do when a fellow spoke sense? Up we went. I'd never been so glad to get away from anything as much as that deep black eye. The monks were waiting. That sharp-eyed monk with a blade watched us leave the hole in the ground. Well? Well, I said, that was a sight. I spoke louder. These are the Frosthands mountains and we ought to know better. A man can kill all the wolves he wants if they skulk around his farm. But the gods gave these mountains to wolves and bears and Frosthands and the valley to us to farm. You fellows know what the Frosthands will do, right? I got nods from most of them. I reckon we should move the mine somewhere closer to town. Just leave this spot alone and pray to the gods, to your god, "'But you stay safe. "'Even the supple wenches should leave it alone, Cromdor.' "'The young monk stepped forward. "'He'd gotten a new sword from somewhere. "'He held it at the ready, "'and I could tell he knew how to swing the thing "'just as much as Cromdor did. "'Thank you for taking the risk. "'We have this monster in hand.' "'Boy,' I said, "'let it alone. "'Trust me. "'I have a duty, old man, to God.' A half-cup of cents would have gone down right in that crowd. Instead, Cromdor shoved me out of the way. Olin made the decision. He walked right up to the young monk who put his new blade up. Old Cromdor didn't stop till that sword was an inch from his nose. Cromdor's hand twitched on his own sword hilt. Get! For the God's sake, I said. Please get out of the way, the young monk said. Cromdor shoved him. The young monk came back lightning fast, stabbing Cromdor's shoulder. Cromdor roared and pulled himself backwards, yanking his shoulder away from the blade. But it was too late. He dropped his old scarred sword. Blood poured down Cromdor's arm. The young monk stepped forward and slammed his fist into Cromdor's face. Right with the hilt of the blade, Cromdor crumpled to the ground. The young monk stood over Cromdor, chest heaving. He looked up at me. Please move, Cromdor jumped to his feet. He punched the boy, and that punch was like gar pounding out thunder on the sky. I saw a jaw crack, teeth scatter, and the young fellow dropped the sword and tried to rise warily, but he was a bit too dizzy to really hold himself up. Cromdor snarled and kicked the young monk's feet out from under him. He stepped on the monk's good hand, pinning it down. Listen to your elders, you little pig's ass. He raised the blade and, neat as a woman slicing bread, he chopped right through that wrist, robbing the young monk of his sword hand. He screamed. A jet of blood flew in the air from his stump, fell, splattered across the grass. Cromdor looked up at his son and smiled a wicked, broken-toothed smile. "'See? We needed you.' "'Sew it up already, woman!' Greta looked up at me and I shook my head. Cromdor, your son said to staunch it till he came back and I reckon he knows. Actually, what he'd said was even a good sewing job is like to cause rot with a wound this deep. He's off with those con-damned kneelers. Give me the needle and thread. I can sew my own wound closed. I'm here, said the boy from the doorway. He came in with one of the old monks. Myself, Greta Cromdor and Greta's old goat glared daggers at that kneeler. The monk didn't seem to notice. He put a hand on Amir's arm. Thank you, the monk said. You did a great service. I will give you a letter from me to the Physicians Guild speaking of your work with the servants of God. The old monk looked at us. We will call a magistrate tomorrow to discuss this situation. My young brother was rash and responded with more force than was perhaps needed. Nevertheless, "'Get over here and sew me up already, boy!' Cromdor roared. "'Just a moment. Amir shed his furs again and wiped his forehead. "'He removed those funny bits of glass and cleaned them again. "'The night was half gone, dark outside at last, and the boy looked tired. Olin, have you any warm water?' "'Had a pot boiling on the stove half an hour ago. I'll get some.' "'Get some more lanterns, too.' He had a cake of soap in one hand, I noticed. Do you have any drink, not beer, something strong? I've got some of Dad's old killed, Greta said. Even at half-strength, it'd stand your hair up. Get it. I fetched lanterns, and Greta fetched killed in jars, and Cromdor grimaced but said nothing. Going by his stories, he hadn't taken a wound like this in ten years. Ten years of drinking and fattening and rotting away. The boy opened up Cromdor's wound and carefully pulled out the sopping blood drenched dressing. The wound was big and ragged and purple, dark and still oozing blood, if not gushing once we'd packed the dressing in. Waiting had been the worse for it. God save, Greta muttered, just a thimbleful of sense. They're going to sink Cromdor the Stubborn who is too damned stupid to live. Lie down, Amir said. I'm doing this on my feet, Cromdor said. You need to lie down after I give you this, Amir said, holding a bottle and a sponge. I soak the sponge in this mixture and put it on your face. There poppy in that, Cromdor asked. His son nodded. Not taking it, boy. So me standing up awake. No poppy. He looked back at me. I shrugged. I reckon he's taken some real hurts in his day. Even a big man can be knocked out by pain, the boy said. I wondered if he was even a bit concerned for Cromdor, or if he was talking like a physic. It was hard to tell, and it wasn't just that accent, done it. He took some kind of pump out of his bag. Looked a bit like a bellows, if you could fill a bellows with Gherkild, then work it one-handed. And He did. "'Gur killed and water not far off the boil, smelling so strong it nearly knocked me out, "'and then he worked the pump and flushed it into Cromdor's wound. "'Cromdor thundered and roared like a bull in a pen, but he didn't move, "'not after two or three flushes of the wound. "'His big fist tightened on the table he was sitting on, tightened till they were white. "'Blood and gur killed and water ran down his arm in trails.' All right, Amir said, I need to pull the sides of the wound apart and put a couple of deep stitches in before I stitch the surface together. Olin, will you help? Cromdor's face was getting mighty pale. Show me what to do, Amir, I said. It's not too different from cutting meat. You hold this side and pull a bit so I can see what's in there. Imagine you're trying to get some tendon out of a chunk of beef. It helps, I think. He spoke very calmly. ''Don't!'' Cromdor was looking sick. ''Just do it, boy!'' ''Drink some of the gurkild at least,'' Greta said. ''Listen to me, please!'' He slowly nodded his head and she brought the ceramic jar to his lips and he drank and I held the wound apart so the boy could put a few tiny, tiny stitches into the meat of Cromdor's arm I've never seen anyone work that fine, not a seamstress. But the boy just slipped a few quick leaps in and then he was sewing up Cromdor's skin. And then we were done, and Cromdor was gasping for air. I didn't see any rot in there, the boy said. You'll need to wash it every day and smear some of this drink at first over the surface of the wound so as not to disturb it. Wash it every day, you hear. Cromdor looked at the boy. Sweat was running down his craggy face, the drops gathering at the edge of his nose, hanging on the ridges, collecting in the hollows under his small black eyes. I... I have nothing for you, he gasped. Nothing. I'm not... I'm not that kind of man. Emi waited a moment, and then he did one of them peculiar Amorite things, I think. He put two fingers to his lips and flicked them away, as if to say that he had no words worthy of speaking to his father. Amir just bedded down in the corner and asked Greta if she couldn't bring a couple of extra blankets. His seeing glasses folded up nicely. They had a tiny hinge in them, it turns out, as fine as a clockmaker's dream. I never seen the like. The sun was up by the time I trudged home and my daughter gave me hell about the roof and I only got a few hours of sleep and a few more hours playing with my great daughters before I trudged back after some more talk about the roof and more and let me tell you that roof could take up this whole story if I let it but the point is I needed to see whether the boy was getting on. I came back in time to see Amir at his prayers again. Greta was bustling about the tables making sure not to look but that didn't stop a few of the other old-timers. Ergut was staring and muttering, "Damnedest kneeling. damnedest kneeling I ever saw.'' ''Lay off, Ergut. Boy's got a thousand gods to pray to, you know. He ought to kneel.'' ''Seen Cromdor?'' I asked Greta. ''You ought to be home, Olin. Getting some sleep,'' she said. ''I wanted to make sure Cromdor's was all right.'' ''Cromdor isn't getting out of bed for days, not after last night, not after all the Gurkild he drank.'' ''I'm here, woman,'' Cromdor called from the door. In the corner, Amir went right on praying until he finished, and he rolled up his little rug. He looked around the room, a bit resigned, I think, to getting stared at, and he looked at his father. ''Boy,'' Cromdor said, ''I came for you.'' Amir put on those scene lenses "'walked over to his father and said, "'You might tear the wound. "'I took far worse, boy, and from your precious Amorites, too. "'Some wailing madman with a curved sword on a little horse, "'more like a big dog. "'Mean, though, underestimated him, and... "'Cromdor heaved with breath. "'Come with me before I fall over.' "'The two of them left. "'The boy put a hand around Cromdor's waist.' All the old-timers remained, staring after them. I snuck out the back and followed them at a length back to Cromdor's hut. Now, I know I shouldn't have, but I had been a bit invested in Cromdor's Thurgisk, as a magistrate should be, so I had to see if it was done right. I snuck around the back of Cromdor's hut in a circle and plopped myself down on the grass the best I could. They were out in front talking. "'Tried to make me a king, you know,' "'In Kerasoth beyond the sea. Ever heard of it?' "'No,' Emi said. "'I killed the Ancient One, this big, fat creature. five tentacles it had, and a beak that was bloody with the scraps of young virgins. "'It had tentacles of the spirit, too, that went into their minds. "'Everyone in Kerasoth beyond the sea, was so happy, "'lived in the greatest kingdom on the earth, "'loved the Ancient One, and didn't mind taking their young daughters to its bloody jaws.' There was a young wench, the ripest, sweetest virgin dreamed up by the gods. Eighteen summers and blonde, and she was the only one who could resist the ancient one's pull, and she and I... He hesitated. Anyway, they wanted me to rule them when it died. I probably should have taken them up on it. I'd have more than just a shit-smelling hut at the end of the damned world. I see. Don't know if you do. Long pause. Long enough I figured he could hear me. I didn't force your mother, boy. I've never forced a woman, not once. I hold to few things, but I hold to that. I believe you. From what I knew of the boy, he believed that Cromdor was telling the truth as he saw it. But you did not know her. You did not care to. You do not know what she gave up, how she worked to raise me. And in a way that was half between anger and sadness, the boy said, She deserves more than to be one of your stories. They went silent so long I worried they'd heard me. Cromdor rustled around in the hut. Can you read this scroll? Yes, it's in High Camerian, a corrupted script, but I can read it. Take it, Cromdor said. Take it, and you'll see. He hesitated again. Cromdor had a hard time finding the words when they weren't about wenches and battle. Boy, son, I was barely off the teat when the Racians took me as a slave. They burned my village. They killed my mother. They whipped me every night. If I cried for my mother, they whipped me harder. I used to lie awake, promising Khan that I would be something more than a slave. Promising my mother. The silence lasted a long time after that, before Cromdor spoke again. So I broke free. I killed the slavers, a boy killing men. Then I killed the slavers' masters, then their king. I've killed hundreds of men since. I made myself into a man for stories. His hand audibly brushed the parchment. Cromdor the Condemned. His voice fell to a whisper. Didn't know he even knew how to whisper. And K'Ka knows I have regrets. I knew what he was saying. Maybe Cromdor had a thimble full of wisdom at last. There were a thousand Cromdor stories, but there would be no story of how he defended his own hold, grew old with his love, raised his son, sowed a nasty wound with a calm demeanour and a steady hand. He had chosen to be the man in the stories, and that closed off a better, truer man's story. The silence lasted long after that. "'There's a copyist in Yargenl named Nicodau. "'He begged me to let him copy this scroll. "'I bet he'd give you money for it. "'You passed through Yargenl on the way here.' "'I think so,' the boy said. "'I think that was the old name of one town.' "'It's got to be worth something,' Cromdor said. "'Those stories got me a lot of free drinks.' "'Well, after a minute, Amir bundled Cromdor into his bed, "'telling him he'd better get to sleep.' Amir snuck off a bit, and I stayed there, just thinking, also sitting, because my back hurt so bad I didn't think I could get up. That were Golan, Cromdor said after a long time, voice coming sleepily through the wall of the hut. I started. I should have figured Cromdor could hear me, as he told it he had ears like a cat. I reckon that's a kind of Thurgisk, I said. Good. Cromwell said. Leave me alone now, Carnes balls. I caught myself up after a while, and I ran by Greta's keep one last time to find Greta talking to the boy, Amir. One hand on his arm, and then she hugged him just like a mother. I seen lots of women talking to lots of men, and it looked like she'd almost convinced him to stay, whether or not his mother was sick. But he turned, and off he went. He's off already, I said. The old carry on and the young come and go. Hope his mother's still around when he gets home. Oh, I don't want to be the kind of woman who says all men are fools, but I'm tempted, Greta laughed. The things you can't see. That boy's mother's dead. Say what? Long gone. A few years at least. You think a boy that dedicated would leave his mother's side were she sick? I stared, opened mouth as a goat. Well, damn. What's he here for? Get some money off Cromdor? I think a boy like that is smart enough to know Cromdor ended poor. She paused. Thurgisk. I started to answer to tell her that Thurgis was a man's duty to his son, not the other way round. But I stopped. Like all things the gods made, all gods, There's a lot in that little word. Thurgisk. She eyed the sky. A few clouds were creeping in from the north, high and grey but thickening. You got a roof to fix, Olin? "We, We don't need to go into that. I watched the boy go and figured that I'd seen the gods move today. A bit. Olin, the roof! I tried to ignore the drop that plunked down on my head. Suppose the gods were trying to tell us something Of course it ain't like anyone's going to listen With some new fool god With some new fool ideas And nothing but a bunch of old stories To let you know the way things ought to be
0: And welcome back I hope you enjoyed the story Spencer provided us with an author's note, which I'll read in full. If you'd like the story to speak for itself, feel free to scan ahead to episode feedback. Now here's what Spencer had to say about Cromdor. I first met Conan in 1995 at the age of 15. In my case, it was Robert Jordan's work-for-hire novel, Conan the Invincible, brought back into print to capitalize on the author's Wheel of Time fame. But if Conan's world was vaguely familiar through fantasy tropes, Conan himself was familiar in a different way. He was every guy I'd had a locker room conversation with who'd bragged about the girls he, quote, bagged, the fights he'd won, no one ever admitted to losing a fight in the locker room, and the punks who were asking for it. Sixteen-year-old men are bombarded with images of manhood. The archetypical Conan, surly, violent, virile, and above all non-committal, didn't match up at all to my own father, a therapist who valued compassion above violence. Conan's string of winches also didn't match up to my sisters and my mother. Their strength and intelligence and vulnerability needed a lot more than a winch to encompass. I liked being Conan for a few hours. Everyone does. That vicarious trip is awesome. It's a lot harder to unpack Conan and understand that, as good as his life seemed life offers a better kind of glory so if you enjoyed the story i'd ask that you remember it as a kind of glory song on its own one in which the slain dragons are taxes and bills bedtime stories and change diapers and most of all compassion i sent it out to my parents especially whose names in a kinder world would be on the lips of many a bard thank you for those thoughts spencer as for you fair podcast listener what did you think come tell us on our forums at forum.escapeartist.net or on our Facebook page. While you're there, check out a couple other nifty bonuses, the Pseudopod Flash Fiction Contest, which is queuing up for submissions starting August 15th. Meanwhile, over on our Facebook page, former editor Dave Thompson has written and recorded a community-outsourced Mad Lib story entitled Dave vs. Sauron, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Hydra. Oh, and by the way... That's a full cast, Madlib's reading, so you don't want to miss that. And while we're doing administrative announcements, I'm very proud to say that Podcastle will be opening submissions on September 1st for next year's edition of Artemis Rising. We'd like to invite women and non-binary authors to submit us their very best original fantasy fiction. Graham and I will be joined by Khalida Muhammad Ali, who will be our guest co-editor for the event. Check out podcastle.org or the forums for more details. And now it's time for episode feedback. This week we're talking about episode 365, The Newsboy's Last Stand by Crystal Claxton, read to you by Grand Dunlop. This story was universally loved, with many people marking International Jelly Toast Day on their calendars for future celebration, and eventually dissolved into a lively discussion of the fine distinctions between jam and jelly. First-time poster SJJ said, Oh my, this story had me laughing out loud, literally. I'm glad I was at home in the garden." not on the bus or walking down the road. Meanwhile, Commodore Raj, who was apparently living out SJJ's worst fears, said, I love the story as well. I was walking down a main road with a big, goofy grin for the full length of the story and a few laugh-out-loud moments. I thought Graham's narration was perfect for the story, too, capturing both the sweetness of the story and the slightly grumpy narrator's voice perfectly. Thank you for those comments. That was our show this week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, our wonderful slushers Arun Jiwa, Sarah Goldman, Jennifer Albert, Melissa Hoflich, and Cleta Muhammad Ali, our audio engineer Peter Wood, our Fantastic Four moderators Talia and Cat, your editors Graham Dunlop and myself. Thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is Rachel K. Jones, reminding you that even if half of Quamador's stories are pure lies... He can handle himself in a cold hole in the ground. Our closing quote comes from Mr. Rogers, who said, Anyone who does anything to help a child in his life is a hero to me.